Welcome to the seven and a half floor of the Merton Plummer Building. As you'll now be spending your workday here, it is important that you learn a bit about the history of this famous floor. Welcome to Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute, the daily podcast in which we shiver with a spasm of ecstasy as we explore the film Being John Malkovich, one minute at a time. I'm your host, Austin Pryor, and I'm joined once more by Peter Anuna. Come back in, get comfortable. How, how are you both today? How are you doing today, Una? Very good, very good. It's great to see you again. Uh, so today, I, I too, I too am well, Austin. Just yeah, that's just, you that's, didn't directly yeah, that's inquire, fine. but I I felt like the onus was on me to contribute <laughs> to. Uh, yeah, I'm fairly neutral on whether you're okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean I'm sorry, like, I'm, I was... I'm surviving. I mean, like you know, okay. I came, I came. Isn't that enough? <laughs> it is. It is enough. I was trying to be a, a bit Maxine there and uh, pretend I'm not a people pleaser and I'm not <laughs> eager for everybody to like me at all times. Okay, today we discuss minute 19 of Being John Malkovich. Minute 19 starts with Lester advancing menacingly on Craig and ends one minute later with a well-timed interruption from Craig as he diplomatically puts an end to the erotic ramblings of his boss. So how do we get on with this minute? So it's it's interesting to have um, somebody uh, advancing menacingly who is costumed like Mr. Rogers <laughs> and, and speaks like a Hustler magazine come to life. Uh, if, if, but with if beautiful Hust- diction. If, if it was like a really sort of florid letters to the editor section of Hustler <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. magazine. Um, I would I would just totally like to take a moment. I don't know if this has already uh, happened uh, in the show, um, but to figuratively pour one out for Orson Bean. Orson who Bean, is, yes, absolutely. Who is who is the actor um, behind um, the part of Doctor Lester? And yeah. it's sort of it's so I I just think again we we we've spoken before about tone and kind mm-hmm. of like you know the quality of performance and so on, I think of it the what he does with this role uh, just how perfectly he fits this role yeah. is is just worth kind of considering. So his casting alone I think is really interesting because he brings this sort of you know American gravitas. An automatic sort of, you know, somewhere between kind of grand grandfatherly and avuncular presence. He absolutely gets how to play absurdity without milking it, without yeah. over egging it. Um, he gets the um, the weirdness right, but it doesn't seem cartoonish. He's earnest, but he's not deadpan. He's got like, he's just got like the balance of that performance is absolutely fascinating. It's just the right amount of weight to make all of like the absurdity sort of seem just about true. Don't toy with Flores, Schwartz. Oh no, if I was 80 years younger, I'd box your ears. I wasn't toying with you, sir. I wouldn't, pardon me, how old are you, sir? 105, carrot juice. Lots of it. I swear sometimes it's not worth it. I piss orange. Oh, and I have to piss sitting down like a goddamn girly girl every 15 minutes. But nobody wants to die. Ah, oh, to be a young man again, I'm Schwartz. <laughs> Maybe then florists would care for me. And he's just superb in this film as a centenarian plus 
who has no relinquishing on his material or physical desire and <laughs> is willing to put in all of the effort to deliver on that, whether or not it has near lethal amounts of retinol and carotid. But the elderly have so much to offer, sir. They're our link with history. I don't want to be your goddamn link, damn you. The delivery of the line, I don't want to be a goddamn link, damn you, damn, yeah, yeah. is unimprovable. Is yeah. unimprovable for one is for one of the most drippingly insincere lines of the film delivered in an equally wonderful performance yeah. by John Cusack that the the elderly are our link to history. I think that's instantaneous, important rejoinder. And 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 as we find out, like so many of the what seem to be throwaway lines of being John Malkovich, it's not a throwaway line. And yeah. his refusal to be your link to posterity is is more than just don't you patronize me. There's actually something considerably more sinister at work in yeah. this figure. In this figure of Dr. Lester. Um, uh, so I, uh, it's, I, he owns this entire minute and, uh, and several more to come. And it's just an expertly played, expertly delivered, uh, vignette. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Orson Bean is a strange animal. Where did he come from? How did he get this role? I'm none the wiser after my research. I can't imagine anybody else in the role. I can't imagine why I've seen him in so few roles. His comedy timing and, as you say, his perfect pitch of how to play this is just, it's a joy to behold. <laughs> I would say to that point, though, Austin, that the fact that he is so cuddly, the fact that yes. he is, that he he has this, He's got the quintessential non-threatening grandfather appearance. Mm-hmm. He's like you can you can imagine him as as he was a sort of a game show host and a talk show host. You imagine yeah. him as this this sort of absolutely ingratiating, comforting figure. So the juxtaposition between that and this kind of you know rococo sexual desire <laughs> yeah. is is it's amusing and startling at the same time. Yeah, definitely and. Also, he's such a beautiful speaker. He has such excellent diction. And of course, none of the jokes about his, you know, I've been awfully lonely in my uh, in my isolated tower of indecipherable speech. Those jokes wouldn't land if if he was in any way less than perfectly eloquent and um, and, and had beautiful diction. Orson Bean's great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I kind of agree that it's, He's, he's great, but I, I find him really creepy and, you know, mm-hmm. as, as, as granddads go, like really creepy. Um, so I, you know, I don't buy into this idea of him sort of being this avuncular benign presence and then it sort of comes out. I feel from the moment I saw him, I went, yuck. And oh, really? <laughs> he's, yeah, really unnerving, really. Like, I think Hugh Hefner, like, that's who he reminds me of. And yeah, that yeah. old man yeah. who's kind of, you know, going to be gracious, but is a bit of a wheeze and will pinch your arse on the way out. <laughs> it's even the way he's dressed. It's sort of, you know, he's, I mean, he's 
for me, someone who's less threatening in, in an older guy, they might have, you know, their, their shirt slightly out or they're, you know, they have, they have a toy because they, they visited their granddaughter or, you know, whereas he's, he's quite <laughs> yeah. immaculate. And I mean, you know, he's, mm. he's, he's actually a captain from when? Do we know his origin point or we don't really know why that's the origin point because this thing could go back and back, right? It could go way back. Yeah, so, yeah. Sure. But but yeah, I mean, in some ways, he sort of raises the question of the portal because he's sort of the oldest person. Um, but but even just on face value in this scene where we're kind of getting to know him, like, I mean, I'm giving this as a totally 20, 21st century um, kind of post-Trump read. But I think the mention of history, <laughs> watching it now, um, and the sort of the, the mm. kind of the, the presidential language of this like to link to history that, that sort of the, 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 the false note yes. that Craig hits, um, sort of and him pissing orange and, and talking about, um, you know, the, the pain of having to sit and piss like a girl. He just reminded me of Trump. I know it sounds odd, wow. but I was like, yeah, I was yeah. imagining, you know, Trump. Maybe it was the color orange. I think it was the color <laughs> orange. It was, it was absolutely that. So I'm riffing off that and imagining, you know, uh, the foundation uh, it, under a sweaty bathroom light. It's all just pouring down <laughs> Trump's body and, and, and kind of mixing in with the urine. And, and that's really, <laughs> sorry, okay, I'll stop. But, but there's something about like that sort of history of men in power. I want to feel Flores's naked thighs next to mine. I want my body to inspire lust in that beautiful, complex woman. I want her to shiver with a spasm of ecstasy, Schwartz, as I penetrate her Dr. wet luster. That I see it as sort of about excess, that mm. sense of mm. um, the excessive flow of, of keeping going. So there's a number of points where yes. he could have stopped. Like, so he goes, and it's so well written, beautiful, complex women. So you kind of, as a woman, yeah. you stop and you go, maybe this guy, maybe this guy isn't yeah. going to go there. And then he goes there. And, mm. and um, you know, and then the other way of looking at it, I suppose, is he goes there because he's, you know, he's objectifying her. He's talking about opening her thighs and, and, and wanting to penetrate her. And it's, it's just, yeah, it's inappropriate. But it's also him saying what he's really thinking. Like, these are the fantasies yes. that are keeping him alive as a man. So in the same yeah. way that we talk at the people who cut through the bullshit, in some ways, he's being his truest self as, a, as an old perv. Follow your bliss. Like, it's, mm. it's prurience. As it, like it, it, um, mm. What's the what's the word? concupiscence here's 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 my word 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 of the day concupiscence but con concupiscence is like the desire and like absolutely it's you know malignant it's inappropriate and it can be threatening but it's also the desire that is toxic within it's corrosive okay. you know yeah. and it's and it's also i think kind of with it there's the understanding that it is unfulfilled that kind of like yes. that he is that kind of and and it seems to have grown to these exaggerated you know ex extraordinary proportions because he does not find an outlet because he is he is similarly rebuffed mm. like he's like in a, in a weird way he could be Craig's future if you know the in the way that he's going to mm -hmm. go from to go from romantic to go from fundamentally chaste you know wanter of a woman yeah. through to something that's actually leering and grotesque and kind of absurd and kind of comic and kind of scary because mm. it's just magnified, you know, like the yeah. kind of like a tamped down volcano, you know, it's not going anywhere, but it's going to, it's going to destroy. 
and it happens it happens in a lot of a lot of literature you know i'm thinking about john b keen mm. plays that have similarly like malignantly frustrated yeah. male yeah. characters you know and it's this sense of kind of curdled curdled sexuality that began as you know the lustful swain and became something more monstrous and grotesque and it's really interesting what he says nobody wants to die and it's it's interesting that he says mm. i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to sit on a seat and piss like a girl so his whole yeah. kind of version of virility is standing up you know pissing against yeah. a urinal and sort of this sense yeah. of you know this makes us understand him a little bit but he is you know he is still maybe a young captain in in his own sense of self and so he's having to adapt yeah. to this old body um which mm. doesn't suit him at all and um, um, there's that feeling that his desire in some ways is inappropriate, but also as, as, as we go on, what do we think about the fact that he then actually does um, end up with Floris? With Floris. Yeah. yeah. And he, and not just him, but he and a group of elderly people, mm. and we get the idea that he is the uh, dominant personality and that was probably part of the deal of everybody g- piling into the uh, the Malkovich vessel. But I never thought about the fact yeah. that he's an admiral and it's a vessel before. That's interesting. Uh, indeed. Oh, the Malkovich vessel. And he is a ship mm. captain. Yeah. yeah. I, I d- never copped that one before either. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I can't top that. At the, that uh, <laughs> That's yeah. an association. Um, I'm thinking now about your note about Trump. The fact that he's the kind of the model of a rapacious industrialist capitalist mm-hmm. acquirer, you know, mm. and then yeah. finally, kind of, because the, the it isn't it isn't so much that he kind of finally possesses Flores, so to speak. It's that he possesses Malkovich. Yes, that he's and in fact that mm. there's no question about his entitlement to possess Malkovich. It's just a right. It's just a right yeah. of passage. And after Malkovich, it will be, you know, somebody else. Emily. Before before Malkovich, it was Dr. Lester. So it's greed. The, the, mm-hmm. It's not just nobody wants to die. It's just I have found a way to be immortal, to cheat death. And yeah. there's no sense about the morality. It's just a fait accompli. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, it, he never addresses the monstrousness of what he's doing. And he's like, he feels hard done by because he, he has to live till... 105 or maybe 106 by the time Malkovich is uh, having his 44th birthday. So he, he's, he's annoyed that he has to stay in this Leicester vessel that even that long and, and has to go through the pain of living that long before he gets to be 44 again. So just more generally, I wanted to ask you both about this film, how you came to it, and how it has changed uh, in your perception over the years. Um, like I've talked about my experience with it. I was uh, on previous episodes. I was um, 20 and, and happened to catch it in the cinema on uh, St. Patrick's Day in the year 2000, which is when it was released in the UK and Ireland. Um, so what stages with it without revealing ages, if you don't want to reveal them, but what stages in your life were, were you guys at and how has the film changed uh, to you over the years? 
That's a really, really interesting question. I'm I'm surprised that it didn't get to Ireland until the year 2000. I, for, mm. whatever, for whatever reason, I, I completely associated within a very small aperture of films being released in 1999. The big 1999 movies, absolutely. And I remember... I remember... I remember also seeing it in the cinema. I was also, I think, still in college. I think I was probably in my final year of college. Mm -hmm. And I remember being so completely enraptured by it and feeling like the the particularly special element of it for me was I felt it could only work as a piece of film. But not Mm -hmm. only not only that, but it had sort of understood the possibilities of film and used them to create its own reality. Mm -hmm. And it had made this kind of glorious thing, which you often want to find in fiction, which is something that feels as though it's got levels all the way down that you could <laughs> that and I, I think to, to some extent this this podcast would not exist if you didn't feel similarly and enough people <laughs> didn't feel similarly inclined that you could that uh, that you could spend a lifetime inside it and always find something else around another corner always move mm. another filing cabinet and discover another tiny door I think yeah. I saw a preview of it through Premiere magazine because mm. I think I must have had a subscription or something. Mm-hmm. And it came and it was a card and it was redeemable in a number of different cinemas in the UK and one in Ireland. And it was the Savoy. And me there and my friend Porek saw it. And we saw it in this kind of and it wasn't jammed. It was like screen yeah. two or three or something. And it was with a bunch of people. And it was, you know, that feeling in an auditorium when you've all seen something, you don't know anybody else there, but you've all seen something mm. and you know it's special. Yeah. And there's a kind of, and nobody fucking leaves their seats mm. during mm. the credits. Mm-hmm. They all sit down and they watch the credits till the end and the house lights come up and people are still sitting down talking to each other and they're not leaving. That was the day I saw that film. I, it's great. only just come back to me now. <laughs> as a, amazing. As a, as a memory and I remember and all I wanted to do was see it again and I knew yeah. that I'd have to wait and I have and I can, and it's one of those films that in that kind of way that you collect things in new formats it's the one that I got on DVD and then yeah. it's the one that I got on Blu-ray and it's the one that I downloaded from Apple it's like mm. it's I it's it's I revisit it quite frequently and mm. I think maybe by dint of being old enough to consider Flora's a viable sexual partner, it's <laughs> living living long enough to be able to see it at decent intervals in your life. Yeah, is really interesting, mm. and it's not. And, and like you know, I, I like when I watched it last night. It was the first time I think I've seen it as a father. And you know, yeah. I, I got, it's interesting to sort of be that person who watches that mm-hmm. film, as opposed to to be somebody who's finishing their college career, and you know, to be somebody who is whatever scrimping out to see if this job thing works out. <laughs> you know, you kind of you you nece- it necessarily you respond or focus on different aspects of it. I also it's probably I I see it now realizing that Craig is not the protagonist. I see it now kind of as as the sense of, you know, consider finding Craig's flaws more immediately apparent. Yeah. Um, mm. 
So it's a film that I think kind of stays with me for good reason and a film that I'm very happy to revisit and a film that I still think it's really hard to think of either precedent or kind of antecedent. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it doesn't like it, it, it still seems remarkable to me in Kaufman's career and, and like my, my experience of the first viewing, it still seems like a remarkable film, a remarkable mm. piece of filmmaking. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so uh, Una, let's hear it from you. Well, it's it, it's funny. I, I guess I'm just slightly older. If it was 2000 when I saw it, I, I guess it was 23. And um, um, but I think you know when you asked me about this podcast, and I thought like the first person that sprung into my head very clearly was Peter Crawley. And and now having heard your memory, I think yeah. probably I must have met you before I saw the film. So you had seen it, I'd say, and we're like. I can't ah, even talk. Yes. I can't even talk. You have to see this. So I think like that's my origin point of meeting you and sort of, I think that must be true if you mm. saw it a little bit before. And then I don't remember where I saw it, but it was probably, you know, in a cinema in Dublin or in Cork at that point. Great. Well, I think it's come to that time again, time for you two to be ejected out of this portal. Uh, but I hope to see you back here tomorrow, making yourselves comfortable among the goo. Absolutely. You're goddamn right you will. Good stuff. Hold on tight. <laughs>